welcome to Resilience in Life and Leadership with your host, Stephanie Olson, speaker, author, addiction, sexual violence, and resiliency expert. Welcome to Resilience in Life and Leadership, and I am ready to introduce to you Paul Granger. When asked who he is, Paul likes to say a child of God and an ambassador of Christ because he's learned that these elements of his identity supersede and shape the rest. And one of the ways God has invited him to live out the call to love God and love others, which is biblical, yes, is through the shepherding gift, providing pastoral support, creating space for conversation and community and advancing those that may go unseen. I love that. Functionally, he has spent the last two decades serving with various ministries and now serves full-time alongside YWAM in loving his neighbors in authentic ways. He also loves to create, whether it is his in his podcast, Where Did You See God?, writings or videos. And he loves spending time with his wife and kids, and they see their home, which God gave them in a crazy way as an important piece of how they love their neighbors as a lifestyle. Welcome, Paul. Hello, and welcome to Resilience and Life and Leadership. And I'm excited to introduce to you to Paul Granger. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hello, I'm doing great. It's great to be here and I'm excited to have a conversation. I am too. So you are doing some really cool things. I really love, I, I love what your story I, I definitely want to hear crazy prayer things. I want to hear about some of that stuff because I get that. I have had that myself. But first, just you are um, you are working with YWAM, so Youth mm-hmm. with a Mission. And, and I just want to hear kind of how your journey led up to that and what God is doing in your life and how he got you there. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. It's quite a story and there's many directions I can go, but I think where I need to start, because, you know, I don't know when you talk about God, I don't know where your listeners fall on that. I imagine there are some that are like, yes, yes, I love God. And others who are like, I mean, I've always believed in God, but also I've been praying and he hasn't answered prayer. And then also some who might be like, I thought this was about resiliency and leadership, right? I didn't see God in the title. And so what I want to encourage people with is, you know, God plays a big role in my life. I believe God exists. I believe he speaks and he works. Um, But a lot of what I've learned is also stuff that can be valuable for someone who is still wondering who God is or doesn't know that God exists, right? Because we're all designed in the same way. We're all humans with these fallible minds and fallible understandings that are trying to navigate this fallible world. Yes. And some of the things that you know, we can learn along the way can be transferable. Now, there are some things that I'll share that uh, really do play into the idea of believing that God exists yeah. and that you can talk to him. Uh, but uh, my hope is, is that for someone that's particularly on the fence about God, that this might encourage them. Because one of the things that makes it hard for us to actually trust God, believe that he exists, is the reality that hard things still happen. Yeah, It's the reality absolutely. that will try to seek him that will try to do the right things and still bad things happen or someone who's not trying to do the right things is thriving or <laughs> like yes come on god if you're loving yes. if you're just what's the deal and so yeah. i i really had to press into this uh, a number of times in my life but back in 2013 i was working for the salvation army boys and girls club and i loved it uh, an amazing place an amazing team I loved working with the the teenagers that I was serving yeah. with. And, but a number of things were happening that made me feel like it might be time to transition, including the birth of our first child. And that always because, does it, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it, it plays a pretty hefty role yes, in what your life will look like. <laughs> <laughs> and so because I say that I believe in God, because I am trying to orient my life around that belief, I should probably incorporate God to that decision-making process. <laughs> and so I began praying about it. All right, God, what, what should I do? What are your thoughts? And, you know, oftentimes when we pray, we're looking for God to give us answers. That's really what we want. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. We, we really want the answers we are looking for too, right? right? <laughs> yep. we're, we're looking for the answer for the short question of like right now yes, yes. and based on my desires. <laughs> 
And a lot of times when God doesn't answer, it's because he's actually looking at a much bigger question that we haven't been willing to ask yet or too scared to ask or. And so, you know, the short version of that story is God didn't give me a direct answer. One thing I learned is that if you're if you're praying about something and you're asking for guidance from God, if it's something he definitely wants you to do, he'll he could throw out a yes. But we want that neon less uh, that neon. Yes. All the time. That's like a rarity. If it's something you shouldn't do, he's pretty good about throwing a no out there. Yes. But it's in that in-between space. A lot of times I feel like what God's trying to say to us is you're, you're getting so honed in on trying to make the right choice that you're missing the bigger invitation. Yeah. I'm just inviting you to seek me. That's what you're doing. You're praying. So great. Choose whatever you want. I'm not against, go ahead and choose. The bigger thing is, are you seeking me? And some, sometimes we have to step forward in a 51%, right? And that's where I was. There's this local ministry that through a series of events that seemed like it was from God, uh, a role opened up that seemed tailored to me. Mm-hmm. And as much as I loved the boys and girls club and I didn't want to go, like I finally, I was at 51% going to this new ministry, this other ministry. And, and I went that direction. And I share that because again, when you feel like you're trying to seek God, then you feel like things should work out. Yes. That was the start of the hardest five-year period of my life. And it didn't start off hard in the sense of what it became. It started off hard in the sense that the role was more than it really should have been. Um, I was running an internship program, for example, that when I was hired, had five year long interns. But once I was hired, they had just admitted the next class that had jumped to 12. Oh, that's a big difference. (laughs) So almost triple the scope and what they did. Uh, they all worked in the same area when I was starting, but the new class would be split into two different areas. So the scope of this one piece yeah. had increased and there wasn't a framework. It, nothing was built out. It was still very much a grassroots organization. It's like, hey, we're going to go in this direction. We'll figure it out as we go, which right. could be great. Also, <laughs> if you're stepping into something <laughs> new that you didn't choose, it could be hard because you yeah. have to build it up now. Right. Um, that was one of basically three roles that I held. And when I was hired, I was told, look, you know, we're kind of in the place where we have to wear a lot of hats, but I I can tell you this is not sustainable. And so at some point this will have to change, but right now, are you willing to persevere? And I'm like, yeah, I've been doing ministry for a while. Like I get it. Multiple hats, hard work. I'm I'm good. And a year later, things were in works for it to change. But then another staff unexpectedly left. And the person that we were hiring to take on one of my roles was a perfect fit for this newly vacated spot. And you know, I was trying to be prayerful about it. I'm like, God, like, I really need this person. And yeah. based on some ways things were going, I'm like, if I give this person up, I don't know that mm-hmm. another opportunity is going to come by anytime soon. And I yeah. might be stuck in another year. But I felt a sense that, yes, this is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to release it. And so I told the other person, look, I know that we are far enough in the process that they're supposed to work alongside me you're going to be in a harder place. So go ahead, take the person. And sure enough, like no other opportunity opened up. The scope of my role increased. Uh, there is a, press, uh, a pressure sometimes, there's a pressure all the time in life, but increasingly so in ministry and churches that success and value is measured by outcomes. Yeah. So yeah. your church is a successful church if it's a big church. Your yep, ministry you got is the a numbers, successful right? ministry if you got big numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And one thing that I had learned just, in life and in other ministry roles is that's just not always the case. It's not always the case in life. Numbers alone don't tell the story, but also sometimes you can have singular numbers that produce incredible impact that maybe you don't see at the time. Maybe it's not the impact you were looking for, but it is the impact that needed to happen. Um, But the expectation was growth, growth, growth. And uh, there was a change in leadership. And this is someone who came from a corporate environment where that was very much like growth in numbers was the big thing. And for some reason, something happened. I I can think of one particular meeting that might have been the thing, but he was the type of person that could quickly make up his mind about someone. And then that would be who they are. It wouldn't change. Right. And, And if you matched up with how he defined hardworking, success, driven, you know, all star worker then you're good. Sometimes even if you weren't, because I saw that happen. <laughs> and if you didn't match it, yeah, then you could exhaust yourself trying to prove yourself and it not work out. 
we are completely different personalities. We are driven by completely different things. Right. And I I do not work in a corporate environment by design. Like I yes, know right. that I'm designed to function and thrive in ministry context. Yeah. So we we got off to a wrong foot and that foot was never fixed, never amputated. It was just wow. constantly. And at first I thought it, it was just frustrating at first. And I was very confused and I, I tend to give people the benefit of a doubt. And yeah. so the corrections that he was giving, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Where's this coming from? But I'll try and I'll do this. Maybe if I do it this way, we got about six months in was the first time he said to me, look, I, I just don't know that you're a good fit here. And maybe you need to think about doing something else. At this point, I'd invested a lot, a couple of years. Wow. I, I actually knew that the way that I was functioning, like I was prayerful from start to finish. Yeah, like, yeah. Like I feel like I'm supposed to be here. I know that I'm producing value. I'm good at what I do. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know that I agree with this assessment that I'm not the right fit. Right. Because again, what I didn't know then is that the fit was fitting this certain mold, producing specific outcomes. Now, here's what's hilarious is at the time, like I continued to push this. I had to match this expectation mm-hmm. of more and more and more interns, even though I knew that wasn't a healthy thing. I knew that right. wasn't the best thing. And I began to learn, I don't even think it's as possible as he thinks it is. Because in the corporate world, maybe you can amass a lot of interns because there's money involved in that. There's no right. money really involved in ministry. It is very different. It is very, <laughs> it's very different. And But here's the thing. I came to find out a few years in, I started doing some research, reaching out to similar organizations, an organization where I had been an intern once yeah. uh, and that I modeled a lot of what I did after. And when I was there, um, they, they were struggling to get year-long folks, but the summer they could get enough folks. But I reached out and they're like, no, like across the board, like all of us are struggling to find interns. Like this one location, like I was thinking about leaving their internship program because they, they yeah. just can't get folks to come in. And that gave me a little bit of peace on two levels. One, okay, it's not my incompetence that's causing right, there right. to be a struggle to get folks. And two, I'm actually getting folks, I'm getting more folks than some of these established organizations. Yes. So I might actually be good at what I'm doing. <laughs> But it wasn't being seen. There is one particular moment after that first hard conversation where I immediately, I was like, I can't, I can't be in an environment like this. Like that, this meeting was incredibly crushing. And I was accused of things that weren't accurate. Like, I don't, I can't be in an environment like this. So I'm going to start to find another job. And I was mad at this boss too. Absolutely (laughs) right. In the course, in a very short time, maybe even within a day. One, I felt like I was inviting me to not leave. And I was like, ah. And then two, I was feeling like God was inviting me to show love to this boss that I had justification for being mad at. Yeah. And, and one of the ways that God's designed me is, you know, you've got the, um, the fivefold gifts in scriptures. It's talking about the apostles. Some are made to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Shepherds is where I fall most. And what I really feel like that is, is the capacity to see and walk alongside others. So what was really annoying is from the start, I knew that this was going to be a hard role for this new right. boss coming in. He was taking over from the founder, right? He was oh, taking on an organization that was- the worst place to right. be too, yeah. And so from, from even before he started, before our first meeting, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be a, a loyal employee. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to support this guy, right? So like to come from that place and to be in that place, and then get hit was hard, but God was like, nope, keep on going. He kept on bringing to mind things that this guy was going through even outside of the work environment. And I'm like, all right, like I can, I can't villainize him. Yeah. Like, I can't blame the, you know, there's a scripture that says the battle isn't against flesh and blood. Right. We want to make right. it about flesh and blood people. Yes. And this person, sometimes it's not that sometimes it's not good guys and villains. Yeah. And so, but I was like, I don't know what to do here. So I guess I've got to work harder. It was a grassroots ministry environment. So people are mostly casual. I started dressing up, button up shirts. I started arriving early, leaving a little later. <laughs> I worked through lunch. I produced monthly reports. I, you know, built out these programs. I got this, this sheet that has this list of stuff that I did just to prove that I wasn't wow. incompetent, prove that I wasn't hardworking. And wow. one of the most deflating moments was after six months of that, um, he ended up saying like in my presence, like we were the only two in the room. It wasn't directly to me. It was almost like an, a side comment. He said, you know, 
I just, I, I wish, I just wish you would put more effort into your work. And I'm like, but that's all I've been doing. Like if he had said, you're not producing good work, that's yeah. We, right, we could talk right. about that, but I was putting effort, in effort and, yeah. and that was the first moment that I, it, I didn't get it then, but I began to realize this reality that we want to believe that we can change people's minds. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you could do everything right, but it was never actually about you or yeah. what you were actually doing. So yeah. that means that sometimes you can't actually change right. that person's perception, right. but we will exhaust ourselves. We will exhaust ourselves. And that's what I did. Yeah. I equated it in my mind to, it was like I had fallen into this pit mm. and it was this deep, dark pit. And I didn't want to be in the pit and I wanted people to help me out. And it felt like some people didn't notice I'd fallen into a pit. By the way, I, I should mention the other elements of this is that this ministry was deeply tied to my church, oh. my friend group, and my community. So well, we no problem, lived together, right? <laughs> we played together, we worked together. So there was no escape. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. I could come home from downtown and like let it right. go. Like right. it was constantly around me. And it also meant that the people that were wounding me were also friends with the people that I wanted to be able to see me. And yes. They couldn't see, they couldn't, yes. they couldn't see, they yeah. couldn't understand. They couldn't believe that it could be, cause this is a ministry and it was a great ministry. So right. could these negative things be happening? And so I'm in yeah. this pit and I'm longing for someone to see me. And the worst is when somebody would see me and would blame me like, okay. this is, this is your fault. Or are you sure this is really what's happening? Or I had someone who was a close friend. We, we would meet for prayer for years early in the morning and his, he ended up accused because he was friends with the other party. He ended up accusing me of a lot, ended up uh, reprimanding me at times for oh things gosh. and ended up ultimately saying like, you know, you need to take, you're just not taking any blame. I mean, I spent a lot of time over those years taking on the blame, blaming right. myself more than blaming others right. and trying to prove myself. And, and after years, after years of this, um, you know, I kept on coming back to a place, God, I cannot do this anymore. Another hard meeting would happen. God, I, this is not working. Can I leave? And I, I began to feel stronger and stronger. Like God was inviting me to stay and wasn't promising the, it would I get better. I love the way that you're saying that God was inviting me to stay. And I mm -hmm. would probably say he wouldn't let me go. <laughs> I love yeah. that. <laughs> and that's and great. I've, this language of invitation is one that I've fallen into more and more because we do think of it as like, like we said earlier, God, tell me what to do. Yeah. It's like, this yeah. is an orchestrated thing and we got to crack the code. Uh, we also, when hard things happen, we could feel like it's God, like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. get you. But he was inviting me because he was trying to do abundantly more than I could ask or imagine. What I was asking for, what I was imagining is for my boss to see me accurately, right. for my job to be actually sustainable and for me to be free to actually operate in things I was good at. And that makes logical sense. Like who right, wouldn't want that? Right, right. And what I love about that passage where it says God's able to do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine is what it basically means is it's like God's hearing what we're asking, mm -hmm. seeing what we're imagining and saying, I get why that sounds good. You can't see what I see, but I'm actually after something much bigger than a good work environment. I'm actually after something much bigger than you. Yeah. And I want to invite you into what I'm doing because I, I know now on this end, a lot of why I was invited to remain is because I was able to stand in the gap and protect a lot of young folks who are coming in to do internships, coming into a very hard environment just in general, but yeah. the, where the organization was and the, it was in the hard stage of transition. So there was a lot of messy and dropped things right. and like I was able to stand in the gap. I was actually able to provide a level of consistent spiritual support and equipping that might not have been there otherwise, even in the midst of a ministry, because there was so much work that needed to be done. Right, right. Like I, I was the one thinking, no, there needs to be a spiritual step touch point. So, and so that's a lot. It's great to be invited by God to serve in those ways. It was still hard because on my end, yeah, <laughs> it was miserable. Like yeah. I hit the most hopeless point I'd ever hit. And what I realized, it was on the closet floor one night and I'm weeping. And I had other things going on in life too that were compounding on this, sure, but sure. I'm like, God, I've done, I've done everything. 
I'm, I've done everything. And it's very clear now that nothing's going to work. And it was almost like God was saying to me, well, it's about time you realize that it's not up to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because yeah. human logic totally made sense. I cannot have a healthy work environment until my boss sees me accurately. I cannot have a healthy job until the responsibilities are realistic. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much research and evidence I brought about people who did similar roles that were like, I do a third of what you do when I'm exhausted. Like, Mm -hmm. like I, God was inviting me to see that there's maybe there's something he sees that that doesn't. And this this was the big one. There was a two-part meeting after something particularly uh, rough happened that I invited in someone who is a spiritual father for me, pastor for both of us, but also on the board of the, of the ministry. Okay. Two very hard meetings where it became utter, utterly clear if it hadn't before that there was absolutely nothing I could do to prove myself that I was being accused of things that weren't actually my fault and at times were the other guy's fault and that there was no way he was going to allow my role to become right. sustainable or healthy. Um, and what the invitation ended up becoming then was through uh, this, the pastor, he basically said something to the effect of, you don't work for this person. You don't work for this organization. You work for God. So what is your boss God telling you to do? And I said, I feel like he's inviting me to stay, but I don't, but if I stay once we get to December, you know, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen because I've been here and it's repetitive year after he's like, don't worry about December. God's going to work that out. If God's telling you to stay, then that's what you get to do, yeah. right? And and the big twist though, right? Because I'd been to that place before and stayed, but what was different is recognizing that reality that I don't work for this person, I work for God, mm-hmm. meant that if I, to m- the best of my ability, was trying to seek God and what he was inviting me to do, and then I was doing it, then I could have confidence in that. I didn't right. have to prove myself to my boss. I didn't have to prove myself to others. I could look like a fool to them yeah. And have peace because I knew I was doing what God was inviting me to do. And it didn't matter what happened in the job because God was my boss and, and he would take care of me. Mm-hmm. And it was like a light came on in that pit. And one of the things that I realized when that light came on is I had felt utterly alone, like God had abandoned me. And it was almost like in my mind, I picture, I look at the wall, right? The first part of it is I look at the wall and I see the claw marks of my futile efforts to get out. And I could see I was never going to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. But then I look in the other direction and there sitting on the ground is Jesus. He's been with me the whole time. <laughs> He's been with me in the midst of the loneliest, darkest part. He never left me. Like it was just this clear sense that this whole time it was so hard for me because I felt like I had to prove myself because I felt like the situation had to be a certain way because I was starting to feel hopeless because I felt alone. But when I actually began to see what was actually true, that God did see me, that I wasn't alone, that yes, things were hard, but God was actually trying to do something bigger than what I was after. Right. There was this freedom and I felt this release. Now we were supposed to have a clean slate, but a few days later we had our first meeting And he came in with a four-page document of something that I'd done wrong. He approached it differently, but he still had a four-page document of something I had done wrong in his mind. I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. I I saw his mental pathway. Yeah, yeah. I also knew he was wrong. And what I felt like I was saying is, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. And I felt this release because before I had to or else he's just going to fire me. Right. This time I didn't have to. So I answered his questions but I didn't do it in a defensive way. And by the end of the conversation, it was the first time in years that he let something go. Like he didn't acknowledge that he was wrong, but he just let it go. And I was like, oh, well, we're in a whole whole new world. That's weird. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I mentioned that my pastor said, once December comes, God's going to work it out. There was absolutely no way that anything could work out to make it better. I was wrong. Come December, something happened that was so mind-blowingly only through God that I was like, okay, this is something different here. I was able to operate in a level of peace and joy that defied understanding. Now, this is where in the story, people are like, yay, this is the ending of the story. No, <laughs> because no, of course not. The, the, the mindsets had not changed. Right. And a new person had come, started working for the ministry. And there's, I'm, I'm not going to get into the weeds. And I, I'll say anytime you sense hesitancy, it's because I know that I'm still friends with people connected. So like, sometimes I'll start to say something. And I'm like, man, 
but there are people that might hear this that might yeah. still doubt my story and might. Yeah, yeah. But I will say this: um, my last few months there uh, became pretty miserable because when I was hired, the person who hired me said, "Look, I don't. When I bring somebody in, it's because I know them, I trust them, and I know they're after what we're after here. So I give them the keys. So I, that's where I started: is the keys to the car. Yeah. The next guy that came in was like. Uh, yeah, 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 sure. You still have the keys, but we're going to transition over to one of these uh, vehicles where it has the steering wheel on both sides. So that at any point when you're learning how to drive, <laughs> right. I can grab the wheel, I can push right. the brakes. And that's what it was, is I was never actually in control of the car, even if it looked like it was in the driver's seat. I was wow. never in control. Wow. Of the car. My last three months, uh, someone else was put over me that was a peer, was new. And so it was a really insulting thing. Right. <laughs> but um, it was like, he took my keys and kicked me out the car. Like over the course of the months, it, without even me being talked to about it, I started losing, uh, authority over things, things that I was in charge of. I suddenly found out was starting to be done outside of me meetings that I should have been a part of. I would walk by a room and they're talking about my right. area of responsibility. And I'm like, so again, God, what's the deal? God, like, can I go? <laughs> like, I'll stay if you want me to stay, but, but can I go <laughs> silence, mm. silence, no answer. And I've been in that place enough to know that silence doesn't mean that God's not communicating. Silence Correct. doesn't mean that God's ignoring us. Sometimes I'm asking the wrong question. Sometimes silence is simply God saying, just hold up. Wait, just it's wait. like a kid who asks over to, are we there yet? Are we there? Are, like, <laughs> I could answer your question, but it's not going to change what's actually going on in you. You right. just want to arrive. And so God just patiently was silent. And I knew I came to realize, I, can't, I think that God's inviting me to wait. And it was strategic because what ended up happening is things were in play to get me out of the organization that led to a meeting on August 2nd, 2018, where I was invited in and ultimately fired, like told, basically all I was told is we just don't think you're a good fit. And boom, it's done. That should have been the most soul crushing moment because I had invested five years. I had been right, prayerful. Right. I had sought God from the start. God, should I go to this place? Right. So God, what are you doing? But what God was doing was actually preparing me for something abundantly more. Right. Mm -hmm. And he actually gave me a heads up that week that this wow. was going to happen. And it was such an out of the place thing that on the day I came home to grab something and I saw my wife and I was like, hey. So I got caught in sort of this meeting and I think I'm going to get fired today. And she's like, there's absolutely no way. Because if you were doing something wrong, there would have been a corrective conversation before. Right. If you weren't producing enough, there would have done like a 30 day plan. They're not going to fire you. And I'm like, actually, I think I'm going to get fired. Wow. And I'm going to this coffee shop. And as I'm reaching for the door, I'm trying to think what in the world could they possibly say? Well, if they say this, well, I could tell them about this. And if they say this, and I'm thinking about this, I actually had like this packet of papers, yep. right? Of all the body of work, the, the things that I had built, the outcomes I had produced. Like I had that, right? And all I heard God saying was, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. I do not want you to defend yourself. I do not want you to protect your job. I want you to represent me well and be who I've invited you to be. And I was able to go into this space and receive what should have been the most destructive news and actually be able to go home and smile. Wow. Now, did I like what happened? No. Right. Was right. it right? No. Like it, it wasn't right what happened. Right. To this day, I still have like trauma responses yeah. from things that happened over the course of that five years. To this day, I still doubt myself because when you are fired or whatever term you want to let go, terminated, when that happens, it hits you internally. Yeah. Absolutely. It makes you wonder, what do other people think about you? Mm -hmm. But God had already prepped me to say, look, it's like he was saying, people thought a lot of wrong things about my son. So you're in good company. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the whole sharing in the sufferings yeah. of Christ. It's right. the goal isn't for everyone to see you accurately. The goal isn't to avoid looking like a fool. The goal is to be authentically who God's invited you to be. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of authentic God followers that look like fools. Jesus looked like a fool. John yeah. looked like a fool. David looked like, like a lot of people that look like fools. And so, you know, the start, the opening question, you know, you talked about why when, mm -hmm. and what's beautiful is I don't know that my path would have, I would not have, my path would not have led there by my own efforts. I actually had connected with YWAM years before when I worked at the Boys and Girls Club. They had 
been running a ropes course and I brought the teens there. I had connections there throughout the years. When I lost the job, I felt a few invitations for God. One was do not operate out of fear right now. Because at the time, mm-hmm. I'm a husband, I'm a homeowner, and I'm a not just a parent of two. My wife was pregnant with our third oh child when gosh, I lost yeah. my job. Of so I'm like, I have to make money, right? Right, God? Like, I have to make money. And the only way you make money is you win the lottery or you have a job. So I have to right, get a job, right? right? And, and God's like, no, 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 no. You think you need money. I'm telling you that I'm provider. What you need is me. I can provide through a job or through people or through sources you can't even imagine. I can make money appear in a fish's mouth. Do not operate out of fear. Do not get a job because you need a job. Here's the other thing that God didn't tell me then, but I began to learn. The (laughs) other reason I wanted a job was because of how I looked. Unemployment does not look good. It's not a good outfit. right? And I already had a lot of people questioning me, like speaking for years, people speaking negatively into my identity calling me incompetent, like all these things. And nothing would disprove them more than if I got like a really good role. Right. right? right. And then I could come back and say, Hey, Hey, I'm the executive director of this organization. (laughs) What do you think about that? Right. Like there's a part of me that kind of wanted that. God's like, I get that. Yeah. I need you to release that. I need you to release all these things that you think you need. And I need you to trust me. He invited me into six months of unemployment. (laughs) That time was one of the most beautiful seasons of my life, because there's so much that I knew that God equipped me for that God was inviting me to do that. Even in ministries, I was stifled because unfortunately for a lot of ministries, they get caught up on the financial piece because you got to pay the bills. Like I get it. Like there's a logical piece, but sometimes that can lead to outcomes being the goal. Sometimes that could lead to donations being the goal, even in the most well-intentioned moments, it can stifle. Yeah the invitation that God's given when it would look like foolishness to go that direction. Right, right. Well, nobody was paying me a paycheck. So <laughs> I was able to serve in some really beautiful, authentic ways, including that's where the podcast started. I didn't even want to do a podcast, but God was inviting me to public transparency. And that was three and a half years ago. I didn't know if it would last more than one, but I'm still going. Yeah, and yeah. I've been able to like experience just God working through conversations in a beautiful way. But I love that. at the end of the six months, I found myself in a position where I was at the last of four stages for this really good, reputable job where it would it would pay enough money and people would respect me. Mm-hmm. I had a few other opportunities that one guaranteed I would be able to get this job if I wanted it. Um, you know, another one would be ministry based. I would have to raise some support, but they had already offered me the role. And then there is this conversation I had with a guy named Chris Zenchuk, who is leading over at YM Richmond, who he basically we had been having conversations. We had connected because of the unemployment unexpectedly. We knew each other, but our friendship deepened. And he basically said, look, I want to invite you to pray about joining our team. Like, mm-hmm. I know you, I know how you operate. And what he basically said is it's not, we're trying to fill a role. Mm-hmm. It's not that you have to do this certain thing. Like your job would be to do whatever God's inviting you to do, including your podcast. Your podcast would be part of your ministry. I'm like, man, that's uh, cool. I don't have to fit that on the side. Wow, yeah. And so it's this beautiful thing. I can do whatever it is God's inviting me to. I'm already respected coming into it. The one caveat, there's no money. <laughs> Nobody in YWAM gets Who a page. Everybody raises support, right? <laughs> and so to go from unemployment to having to live off support could seem yeah. like a foolish thing, especially when I had a newborn at home. Yeah, but God right. had been pushing the reality of who he is as right. provider, as wise, as one who does abundantly more. And he had already put some things in place to give me a piece in knowing that God, he actually can do it. Um, including where our money had already was, should have already run out by that point. Right, right. But not only did it not run out, I had been in the hospital for a week. A baby had been born. Our cat needed dental surgery. We had to do some car repairs, like Yikes. additional things. Christmas yeah. fell on that time. We didn't even have to scale back how we were living. We weren't living extravagantly because again, I was ministry worker, Yeah, but yeah. we didn't have to go to ramen and bread and butter like so God had already proven God himself. provided, yeah. And so I took what definitely felt like a leap towards foolishness, but I also knew it was a leap towards God. And I knew that even if things didn't work out, I know within myself that I am stepping towards God. I'm not stepping towards money. I'm not stepping towards reputation. I'm stepping towards God. And I, and I believe that he's going to catch me, even if part of me is still like, what is he? That was three years ago. Wow. We have not missed a bill. Wow. We did not lose our home. 
We have not had to scale back and go to bread and butter. God has continued to provide. It's been three and a half years since I've gotten a traditional paycheck, Mm. right? There was a two-year season where my wife felt like I was inviting her to leave her job. And then we did the YWAM. If you work at YWAM, one of the invitations is to do what's called a discipleship training school. In order to be on staff, this is uh, one of the elements, steps to get there. And we were able to go as a family and do this. And we didn't have the money for it. Hmm. And in, of all places, we could have done it in Richmond. God invited us to do it where it started, which is YWAM Kona in Kona, Hawaii. So we lived in Hawaii, Hawaii is for three months. cheap to live in, right? right? Like not something <laughs> we would have ever have dreamed could wow. have happened. Wow. And we lived there for, for three months. And that's amazing. And, and so- you know, in all of this, you know, we talk about resilience in life and leadership, yeah, right? Yeah. And we're told resilience comes from just from resolve or mm. comes from building up the skills. And those, those are great things. But what happens when your resolve is there, when your skills are there and you're still getting beaten down? Yes. What happens if you are ap- operating like you're supposed to operate, that you are, tr- you are operating with integrity, that you have been very mindful and you're still getting punched down into a pit? Like, what mm. do you do then? And for me, the answer was to find out what, what do I really believe about God and how willing am I to trust that? That's right. Because Christians will say a lot of things about what they believe about God, but the moment things get hard, that resolve falters a little bit. Yeah. The moment it looks like we're going to lose something, like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and was like, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. It's too much. That was yeah. too crazy of a call, too hard of a call. Like we had this happen. And we will make up, make decisions not to try to dishonor God, but to try to protect in the ways that we feel like need to protect. I had the privilege through this hard season to recognize that sometimes resilience comes from believing that God actually is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And he can actually do abundantly more, even if it looks like significantly less is in the midst. I love that. Oh, I am. I am digging this conversation because (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you. There is so much that is resonating with me and so Mm. much that God is just personally taking me through some stuff that is just right on what you're saying. And I think that sometimes when it's a Christian that's hurting you, it's that much Uh. harder (laughs) because you're like, God, can you not tell them that they're being a jerk? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is Mm -hmm. so so hard. I love this story because this is about what God does in the face of our circumstances. And that frankly, he's not trying to change those. He's trying to change us and Mm. he can do incredible, incredible things, but we do have to trust him. We have to trust him. I actually just gave a message called the end of the story. And Mm. it's all about, you know, I'm, I'm an avid reader but I like the story. I don't ever want to turn to the end of the chapter and know Mm -hmm, how a book mm -hmm, ends. mm -hmm. But when we grow up reading the Bible or knowing the Bible, we, we see the story of Abraham and we're like, awesome, Abraham, God's going to prevail. Well, Abraham didn't know the end of his story. Right. And we don't know the end of ours, but he trusted God through that. And I think that that is so beautiful. I love that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and that story piece too, what's beautiful is we can get frustrated with that idea because we're actually thinking about stories in the wrong way. The reason that yes. we might jump to the end is because it's really just a conveyance of information for us. Like right. I want to know what happens. What are the course of events? What's the outcome? Like, and it's, it's all about the information, Yes. but a good writer isn't just trying to give you information. Like they're trying to take you on a journey. They're yeah. trying to help you to experience deeper things. Like there, there are things that you experience about Abraham that if you didn't know the depth of the pain that he had to feel in his heart when he yeah. had to sacrifice Isaac, right? Like, like if you just knew, just thought about the information, you might miss the humanity, the reality. Exactly. And in life, God is after abundantly more. He's not just trying to tell us what jobs to have, what to do and get us to a certain outcome. Because like you said, he is trying to grow and mold us, yes. but 
He's also doing all of this with eternity in mind. Scripture is very clear that all this is going to fade away. This like, is not our home. Right. Right. And and we even recognize, even if somebody didn't believe in God, like, right. it's just a few generations that you're remembered. Like, even the memory of you, That's unless right. you're someone significant, is gone. Like, I'm working on my uh, family ancestry right now, trying to find out. And it took forever to finally crack the code of who my great grandparents were. But what that made me realize is like, man. Like those, those people, like nobody, like nobody knows who they are anymore. And that you are literally related to, you don't even yes. know them. Yes. Blood. Exactly. Right. DNA. Right. And, and yet this is what we will, we will focus so hard on the here and the now yeah. thinking that that's the thing that lasts when there's something that lasts far beyond that, that money can't actually <laughs> capture. Yeah. And God is looking at our story that he's writing for us. And he's like, yeah. you're still thinking temporal. Like yeah. there is a reason that I'm not telling you answer because I'm trying to do something within you now and how you see me and how you try. There's a reason I didn't give you this thing you prayed for, because there's actually something better. There is a, there is a, there is a, like God sees so much more, but yeah, yeah. we keep on reading stories in that informational way, rather than trusting the journey that the writer has written. Absolutely. Well, and, and I love that you work with youth and that, because I think when you're talking about things like this, I personally, in my day life, I run a nonprofit. So totally get all of the whole money things and what you're saying. And, um, our, our mission is to, to provide prevention education to youth and families on human trafficking, social media, mm. safety, health relationships. Yeah. And um, so we go into schools, we talk to youth, but that's, that's who we serve. And one of the things about youth that is so striking to me, and I think we as adults fall into this quite a bit, you know, when you're in middle school, that might as well be forever. That mm -hmm. is life. You know, you're not getting out of it. You don't remember. And, and I think that sometimes that's, where God has us in that place that is, okay, am I going to get out of this situation or beyond this situation, whether it's good or bad, this is the moment that I am kind of captured in. And mm -hmm. I can't see beyond that. And mm -hmm. that is, um, that's a tough place to be, I think. Yeah. And what's so hard too, is that it's, it's shaped by so much, right? Mm -hmm. It's shaped by our own desires of how we want things to work. But a lot of times, even our desires are shaped by external forces. Yes. What, what are we told Correct. is the way that things are supposed to go? Yeah. What are people around us experiencing? How are we comparing to them? What are people actually saying to us, whether they believe it themselves or not? Right. Like, that's how much, I mean, employment is one of those areas. Right. Is there is an expectation that you either work, you landed in the money, or if you're unemployed, it's just bad. Right. You know, it's, right. there's something wrong with you. Right. And we're conditioned into what work's supposed to look like, how it's supposed yes. to feel and, and all these things. But it's so much about reputation. It's so much about like, there's no respect for the, the service worker. Right. right. But for the CEO, right. right. Yes, there is, there is respect. And there's, so there's so much that's shaped. And then when an individual is trying to figure out their place in the midst of this, particularly young adults. Uh, young adults is where I feel like God has most positioned me in the recent years who are in this season of they're still in the midst of youth in a sense, yep. but they're on the cusp of adulthood and it's murky and it's unclear when you fully transition and how you transition and where you go. And there is so much pressure yeah. about figuring out what you have to do and also figuring out what God wants you to do and yeah. do those things come together. And how do I know? And I'm asking God and he's not telling me. And I, and I, and I, and like hyperventilating, yeah. Yeah. having a quarter life crisis. And, and it's heartbreaking because so often the fears that exist aren't actually real fears, No, but they, they, we we will find ourselves inundated in this and get to a place like you mentioned, where it's like, and now I don't see a way out. Right. Cause the only pathways I'm aware of or all these. And either I don't want to go down that path or I, I don't even know how I can go down that yeah. path. Yeah. And there's this passage that talks about the wide gate and the narrow gate in scripture. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of people find the wide gate and some don't find the narrow gate. And I, I pictured as though this, it's this wide road that right. has been heavily traversed. Maybe it's a straight road and you could see, yeah, there's a city at the end of this road. Yeah. So that's inviting. A lot of people gone down it. It's easy. 
empty, it's clear, and there's a destination. Why would you ever choose this right. overgrown weeded path that about five feet in it turns and you have no idea yeah. where it goes? And there's probably like, hills. are you gonna get lost? Hills right. Hills, are, yeah. briars, snakes. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I got dangers. Yeah. And the only thing making you consider going down it is the fact that you see Jesus veering off the wide road down this dark path. Right. And so the question becomes now, why am I choosing the path that I'm choosing? Mm -hmm. And there are all the reasons to choose the normal logical paths. The only logical reason to choose that path is because that's the one that Jesus is going down and he invited me to follow him. Any other things like, oh, because I like adventure. Well, you like adventure in, until your life is at risk That's in a right. significant way That's or right. you're lost or you're tired or, or right. Like any of our other reasons are going to hit a point where they're not enough. And this is why when Peter was walking on the water, like he had a lot of reasons that got him to actually walk on water for several steps. Yeah. The, the moment he stopped was because all of those reasons faded away. He saw the waves. He was too far from the boat to be able to swim back. And all that was left was the only reason to take another step forward is because Jesus invited him. Right. And that reason wasn't enough. And he sank and Jesus still loved him and pulled him out. Right. right. So like in life, it'll look like there's no way forward. It'll look like where Jesus is inviting us is, is a foolish path. Yeah. And he's not telling us where it leads. And the thing is, is that where it leads is to him. Like it's not yeah. about any functional destination as we understand it. Mm -hmm. It's him. So even if, I land in unemployment, even if I land in a job where I'm almost 40 and I don't get a paycheck and I'm mm -hmm. right. Like I, I could, I could think about it in human terms and make a case for how foolish I am, but I could also step back and say, but I've seen what God's done. Right. Right. Like I know how he's worked. This is why God invites us to remember because it's yeah. easy to forget who he is and what he's done. But when we remember, yes, we can put that up in place of this big logical mindset we have and say, even though it doesn't make sense, this actually was true. So how could this still be true if God's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Well, and I think that's the problem with American Christianity, because we really do have an easy road. Mm -hmm. And so when, when God says, okay, follow me down this path and it just, that doesn't make sense, but you look at some places in our world where, you know, like, Hey, you get to follow Jesus. Now here's the thing. Your family's probably going to be get killed. You will mm -hmm. probably be tortured and die, but this is the end result. And people are running in droves. Yeah. And I think that's one of, and I'm, I, I am happy to not have the persecution that they have, right? right? But I think that's one of the things that we lack here because we don't get to see God work in yeah. some of those incredible, incredible ways. Yeah. 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 So speaking that of That was which, the wisdom when Jesus, yeah. well, I was just going to add to that. What Jesus said yeah. to us is, uh, hate your father, hate your mother, hate your children, hate your own life. Yeah. He talked about dying to self. And it, that's- that's the, why he was so wise in saying that is because as long as you have things, and that's what we have in American culture, like uh, advancement, job security, yeah. reputation, like as long as you have things, our default is going to be to protect and hold those yeah. things. What do we need? When you yeah. don't have those things, when you release them, when you're in an environment where you don't have all that, right. it, it's, it's a little easier to see what's actually true. Yeah. Not what you believe is true. Which is why there is so much growth with our, I mean, if, if we've got this time where God strips everything from us, we have a choice. We can either turn to God or turn away. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when we turn to him and Jesus is all we have, it's amazing what he does in that time period. And so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of leads me to crazy prayer things. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you got to hear one crazy yes. prayer thing story, which is I'm in a toxic work environment yeah. where I'm being accused of things that aren't true. And I cannot prove myself no matter how hard I work. I pray and God invites me to stay. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Thanks, and people God. did like, I actually had people close to me that at times got upset with me because it seemed like I was being really stupid. Yeah. Like, you're doing this to yourself at this point, Paul. Yeah. Like at the start, I felt bad for you. 
then after a while, I was like, ah, but now yeah. after a few years, you're, you, you are choosing to stay here. There was someone who was in an HR role who basically said the same kind of things like, this is on you. Like you're choosing to stay. I'm like, this is a ministry. Yeah. <laughs> like, where's, where, why is God coming into the mix of this conversation and calling and like things that yeah. we claim to believe? Yeah. And so to stay in a place that I didn't want to stay, yeah. that seemed destructive because God invited me to stay. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And I could see on this end how God has worked through the craziness. Mm-hmm. The other big story, and this is where the phrase I started using a lot, mm-hmm. is I posted on Facebook fall of 2016. So I was in the midst of the the, the rough of it. <laughs> and <laughs> and I posted it on Facebook. Um, hey, uh, we feel like God's inviting us into this crazy prayer thing. Uh, I can't tell you anything about it yet, but if you want to jump in and be a part of this crazy prayer thing, start praying. God knows what you're praying for. Well, what I was referring to is that God invited us to pursue a house. Mm. I did not want to pursue a house when I was in the midst of a rough, rough, toxic work environment. Right, right. I did not want to pursue a house when my wife was part-time with the church. I was working for a ministry, so we don't have the money for that. God had already blessed us with a home. So I I was happy with where we were living and... I'm constantly cognizant of how, how much we have compared to how many, how little so many in the world have. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I could never feel justified saying I need more space yeah. because there are people living in a fraction of what I have, absolutely. if that friends that I have in the community that are unsheltered. Mm-hmm. So I was a hard no when this idea of another house came up. It's a house that we had walked by a lot and it's a beautiful house, large, beautiful house right on the corner right catty corner to one of the housing projects, huge yard. And so in terms of a space where God could do amazing things for the Mm. community, we weren't alone in having that sense. A lot of people had actually looked into and pursued this house. It never went anywhere because the guy who was living there was saying, oh, I want a million dollars for it. And then he didn't laugh. He brought it down to 500,000. He didn't laugh. And at the time in the community, the house in the state that it was in really should have it definitely should have been less than 200,000, Wow, maybe wow. well less than that. And it was just constantly overpriced. And we thought it was abandoned because it looked like it was boarded up. Uh, but it turns out someone did live there. He just put paper over all the windows. Oh, he was still, they were looking to sell it. And my wife was like, well, you know, what do you like? We had gotten to a point where we had decided, no, we're not going to buy anything, but she saw the sign. She's like, I kind of want to see inside. And we're like, I kind of want to see inside too. We left thinking we're absolutely not getting this house because the floors were splintered. The walls were lead paint. There's no closets oh, wow. in the bedrooms, yeah. right? Like really? the kitchen's falling apart. No clo- older houses. They just didn't like closets. Huh. I guess they liked wardrobes. I don't know. Weird. And so it was a hard no until one day I'm coming home from work and uh, the house was just a few blocks from us, but it was out of the way. But I felt like I was inviting me to drive out of the way. And then I found myself feeling like I should pray about this house. And the sense that I got was I felt like God was saying, I want you to pursue this house and I'm not promising you're going to get it. Right? <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Okay. Pursuing a house is not a small thing. No. Pursuing a house that you might not get and you yeah. know that you might not get it from the start. It's kind of crazy. When you don't have the money, when right. you don't want to even buy a house, when right. it's a house that's exactly. falling apart, when it's overpriced, all these things. But we felt like God was giving us an invitation. And so we took a step. That step revealed a lot more impossibilities, but also revealed moments where God suddenly showed himself in unexpected ways, mm. sources of income that wow. we just came out of nowhere. Um, two people on the same day called my wife and said, hey, we, there's a job opening up with the ministry, actually the same ministry that I worked for. So my wife was also working for the ministry that I got okay. let go of at the same time. That was yeah, a whole other part of the story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can have a whole conversation <laughs> about that experience situation. for situation, right. It was, it, was not, it was not good. But uh, there is this preschool uh, that our, our kids had been a part of that we loved, that she actually had taught at, and the director position was opening. And two people called and said, we really want you to apply for this job. Like she was not planning on leaving the part-time at the church, definitely not for full-time anytime soon. But like, because we had just... We, we had two young ones at that point, but yeah. she felt this piece about it. Hilariously, the location of it, half a block from the house we were of looking course. at. <laughs> right. And so all these things are happening. Yeah. It gets to a point, though, where like we're we're in contract 
but we don't know how this is going to work out. They're not pulling back on anything. We're like, but you've got wires twisted together and duct tape wrapped around. Like you're going to need to come down on price or you're going to need to cover these things. Nope, absolutely not. We're not going to like holding strong. And it got to the point where there's no way this is going to work. All that's left is for us to sign the papers. And I could see the house from our kitchen window. Like it was tall enough that it was just over the trees. And in the morning, the morning sun would illuminate that first, the top of the house first. And in the good moments, it's like, oh, it's a sign from God. In the bad moments, it's like insulting. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh. And I'm fixing my eggs and I'm lamenting that we're not going to get the house. We put so much into it that somebody else is going to move in. And I felt like what God was saying to me was like, what is it that you're actually after here? Because it doesn't seem like it's me. Because when he said to pursue the house, the reason he said, but I'm not promising you're going to get it is because he actually wanted us to pursue him. That's what this was all about. The goal of this was not to get a house. And when I realized that, I realized that my lament was founded and logical, but was because the outcome for the goal was the house. It was this good heart check. And I'm like, all right, God. All right. I hear you. I'm still in this. I'm still, I'm still game to stay at the table, even though right now, I don't know how this goes any further, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. And sure enough, a few more months, somehow the table didn't disappear. Things didn't clear up, but God continued to show himself. And on March 15th of 2017, easily one of the hardest moments of my job moment, not just like in what I was going through, uh, but with uh, my responsibilities, like that was the height of the busiest part of my season, like the middle of me running a month long of service groups, the direct middle. I'm like, God, you're funny, but we got the keys. We got the (laughs) keys. Wow. And then we had to go into the renovations and we didn't have the money for that. Like, (laughs) but I can't tell you to this day how it all worked out. Like we, whatever money we had to cover, like was, was barely enough to cover maybe the most vital stuff. Like, you know, electricity, right? you know, small water, but we were able to do stuff that we did not think we were able to do. And I can't tell you to this day, how the numbers work out. It's not like we suddenly got a large anonymous $50,000 gift or something. It's like God provided, God provided. I don't need to know how he did. And so it all started with our willingness to seek God. And then he comes at us with this invitation. We didn't know was coming. And the question became, are we willing to trust God that much? to step towards something crazy, something illogical, something that people would look at us and say, are you sure about that? Hey, you might be being irresponsible. You have kids. Maybe you need to think about this. What if you lose everything? Like, are we willing to trust God enough to step into the crazy, to embrace looking like fools? Because the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Yes, And, And that happened before the whole job thing. So it's like, it wasn't even about the house. It was about me understanding who God was, how he can operate and how he can do abundantly more. So that when I found myself a little bit later that year, having that hard meeting where God was telling me to stay. And I was like, I don't know how it's going to work. Like I had this touch point of knowing, but here's what I know about God now. Here's how I know he can work. Here's how I've seen him work through impossible. So maybe I can remain in this environment, even though everything seems horrible. It helped when I lost the job and was able to trust God to step into unemployment. It helped when I was approached about YWAM was able to say, oh, I can go into this knowing God can work. When my wife felt like I was inviting her to leave her job and everyone's like, okay, it's one thing for Paul, but for both of you to lose incomes, right? Right. And through the pandemic, all the way up until now, like these moments, these crazy prayer thing moments have helped deepen my understanding that God is God, that he is powerful, but he is also good and loving. Mm -hmm. And even if it doesn't play out the way that I want it to, it's because what I wanted was so much lower than what he actually had. Yeah. Okay. I'm super inspired. (laughs) I really am. It's not often that I walk away just going, oh, I just... From a from a podcast, I think like oh, mm-hmm. I just needed God used this to just speak to me. So I I really appreciate everything you've said. This has been amazing. Thank you yeah. so much. Well, and now, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And yeah. and I want to say this because I there is a takeaway that someone could get from this that mm-hmm. I do not want them to get. And the takeaway could be something like, oh man, wow, I I just admire Paul's faith. <sighs> like I wish mm. I wish I could have faith like that, but. I, I just, I don't even know that I, I could never do what Paul did. Like, 
this is not about me. No. <laughs> like I did not think I could do half the stuff 90% of the time. Like this is a story of how God can do abundantly more. This is a story of how God could work sometimes in spite of us. So anybody listening, you are already in the position for God to do something like to, to write a story like this. He wants to write a story like this. You look at who Jesus chose as his disciples. They were not who the world would have chosen. No, they were not. They would not have chosen themselves. They did not feel sufficient. So anybody listening, this type of story can exist for you. This is not about me. That's why it's mustard seed faith. It's not like, oh, Paul has great faith. Like, no, I had mustard. I had just enough to say, okay, I'll step into the crazy, but God, I don't know what you're doing. So I wanted to, I want to emphasize that everyone listening, this is, this can be a story for you as well. Well, and I appreciate that because you said something really important that um, really speaks to that. You said that still today you have trauma response for that. (laughs) And and that just shows, I think that's an important piece that this wasn't you just going, okay, I'm, I'm getting beaten Mm -hmm. up, but guess what? I'm a Christian and this is awesome. You know, that Mm -hmm. wasn't your experience and you still reel from it sometimes, but God, and that's the beauty of the story that, that we are still human. And, Mm -hmm. and we are still, um, you know, flawed human beings and we are still, Mm -hmm. but God uses that and uses us and he loves to show off Mm -hmm. and he couldn't show off if we were perfect. So, I mean, it's just amazing. So I, that I really appreciate you saying that because I think so many people think, well, I've got to do this or I have to be this. And it really isn't about us. It's about him. Or if I'm having a trauma response, that means that I I, I failed or I missed the mark, right? Like the apostle Paul talks about having a thorn in his flesh. And there's a lot of theological debate about what that means. But if you read it, what it comes across to me is, is essentially whatever the actual thing is. It's like Paul saying, God, can you just take this away? Because if you could take this away, I could serve you so much better. I would be so much more effective. I could do so much more for you. Like it's clear that he wants it removed for God's glory. And he's three times he's in fact about it. And God doesn't take it away. And one of the things that Paul realizes is one, it's to protect him from becoming conceited because he was a Pharisee. He was the Pharisee of Pharisee. Like he was, so like that's within him. Like that's one of his imperfections that if he didn't have that thorn, he would start to think he's the Christian he was of Christians, something. Right, right, right. And and it was so it was a gift to him to protect him from himself. Um, but the other piece is what you noted is it gives an opportunity for it to be about God, not just for others to see. Because there are people that are like, man, that that Paul, he's flubbing over his words, but I'm feeling something. Mm-hmm. So that must be God and not Paul. And for Paul to say, man, I was flubbing over my words, but right. God still spoke. So that was God and not me. So yeah, right. like. We don't have to, it's, it, yeah, it, 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 there could be some lament about the hard things that remain, Yeah, but we can also recognize that if God hasn't taken away and we prayed for him to take it away, that he might be using it or doing something through it, whether it is to protect us from ourselves, whether it is to build up something new in ourselves, or sometimes it's not even for us. That's right. It's so that as I'm lamenting about the trauma responses, I still feel someone else can hear it and say, oh, I lost my job too. And years later, I'm still feeling like afraid to send an email and I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's not even about us. <laughs> and we may never know. And we may and never know. That's what, and I think that's why, you know, telling our stories, sharing um, the good and the bad and, and the awful, that is really, mm-hmm. I mean, that what a help that can be to someone else. And it shows it's not about us because we may yeah. never see the results. Uh, love it. Okay. Paul, how can people find you? Yeah. The easiest place is www.wheredidyouseegod.com. There you can find the podcast. You can find things that I've written. I've got a devotional. It's a whole other story, but I felt like I was inviting me to write a devotional on Revelation. I didn't even want to read that book. Wow. Didn't want to read a book. Totally digging that. But it's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. So you can find that on Amazon, but if if you don't like, this is not about making money. So there's a free PDF. Feel free to download the free one. I don't care. Cool. Um, but and within the podcast, there are some seasons that are parsed out on the web page. You can find the podcast in all your normal podcast yeah, places. Yeah. But 
there's a, a questioning series where God invited me to open a space for people to process issues they've got with God and Christianity in the church. Gets pretty that. heavy. <laughs> there's the healing season was last season, which I wanted to just be one episode. It ended up being 51 episodes. Wow. <laughs> it was a journey for sure. And then I was going to take a break. And then I felt like I was saying, no, nope, I want you to start another series. And so the season I'm in now is called Sitting and Suffering. Oh. And there's been some, I mean, just some powerful stories. So if any of those resonate with where somebody is, you can find those yeah. directly parsed out. But www.wheredoyoucegod.com. And the idea there is not, I do not want to promote myself or anything like that. What I'm trying to do, what I feel like God's invited me to do is just to create spaces to yeah, process what is yeah. a hard thing. God is a hard thing to process. Yep. Life is a hard thing to process. So how can stories and introspection, creating a space for all of this, be a place where we can come to know God a little deeper together? That's fantastic. Well, I always ask one final question on my podcast, which you already answered. What does resilience yes. mean to you? <laughs> but is there anything you'd like to add to that? Because you answered it so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll, I'll emphasize one particular piece. You know, the way that we often talk about resiliency can seem out of reach. Right. If, if you were just too heartbroken, too crushed, it's been going on too long, you have nothing left resilience can just feel out of reach. Yeah. But what's beautiful is that there is a God who made you, who knows you, who loves you, who sees you, who is sitting with you in the pit, whose capacity is more than enough. So when your capacity is sapped and your knowledge of what to do is shot, yeah. God is right there and is enough and has enough. And he's not trying to accomplish fixing your situation. He's trying to do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. And all you have to do, the simple invitation is to do what it was really hard for Peter to do in that moment is just to take that next little step. Even if it's into the dark stormy waves that will probably kill you. Yeah, You're not stepping towards waves. You're stepping towards God saying, all right, God, I'm gonna take you at your word. Mm -hmm. And if you look at scripture, that's the story of so many who were sapped of their capacity, didn't know what to do. So many of the people we celebrate, we were in those places. The same God that wrote amazing stories with their lives is currently writing an an amazing story for yours. You just got to decide, are you willing to go along for the journey? Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your story. I have really enjoyed talking to you and I am personally going to um, check out all your work and I'm, I'm just thrilled. You're doing some really good things and I appreciate your obedience to God and allowing him to use you in such an incredible way. So thank you so much, Paul. My pleasure. And thank you. And thank you for creating a platform for people to share stories and process. It's so incredibly valuable. Like this, this conversation was a blessing for me as well. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. And I hope it was a blessing to you. I can only imagine that it was. Thank you so much for being a part of Resilience in Life and Leadership. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please share with anyone you think will benefit from this podcast.